So uh, we're a month in, uh, almost officially. We're like a couple of days short of a month. We're four weeks into the college basketball season, which feels simultaneously hard to believe. And uh, it feels like we've been playing all, all year. So very excited that we starting to have some real data points on these teams, starting to get into the nitty gritty. We've had conference games for the last week. That's been very interesting. Lots of, uh, lots of weird results. And of course, Brad, where we'll start our first coaching move that matters uh, of the, uh, of the college basketball season. So your Friars are winning. Other than that, how are you, my friend? Well, because the Friars are winning, I'm, I'm over the moon. Ed, Ed Croswell. I mean, there, there, there are no words. I, I, I know you, you didn't watch either game, right? No, no, I did not. I don't think most people were, I think Twitter would have been a little more, uh, you know, j- just as shocked as us Friar fans were. I mean, this is a guy who couldn't do anything. He comes out double double, thirteen and fifteen. He's flying around, getting and ones, put back dunks, defensive stops, swatting shots. I mean, he, he was incredible. He was uh, so if we get different physically too. If uh, we get anything from Ed Croswell moving forward, I mean, uh, uh, Purdue, watch out. Uh, we'll see. But no, it, it was funny because so I. I took a half day on Friday from work because I had some vacation days to burn. I listened to Titus and Tate podcast on the way down to get some lunch. And, I, and they're talking as if Turgeon's time is is near, right? They're, they're really laying it on. Turgeon, he's screwing up. He's, he's gone. Uh, <laughs> they they were talking about, is, is Maryland more for Sean Miller or Archie Miller? Uh, and and I'm, I'm sitting there thinking... They're really going to fire him like this soon? You know, I, I was like, they, they were just a top 12. They were like a three seed the, the year that the tournament got canceled. They just made the second round of the tournament last year. They've been making it all the time. And so I, I, I sit down in the restaurant and, you know, I'm waiting for the waitress to come over. And I and I texted you because we, we, we had talked about it offline about when or, or who we thought would be the next Maryland coach. And I was like, did you think? Turgeon was going to get fired after this year, or after next year, and you were like, after this year, and I was like, I don't know. And then I literally open up Twitter, and Turgeon is gone. Not not ten seconds later, <laughs> he's out. And now, as as we've established, I'm I'm Team Turgeon in this. Your team, uh, psychotic Maryland fan. So I'll let you uh, take the floor first. So let's let's be nice. They're not psychotic. I think I think Maryland is. I, I think you you made the comparison on Twitter to Jamie Dixon Pitt. I don't think that's fair because I think Pitt has way more challenges than Maryland. Maryland is in the most fertile recruiting base in the country in the DMV. It has history. It's won national championships. Um, and I also think Maryland has kind of consistently left skin on the bone under or left meat on the bone. Excuse me under Turgeon with the rosters they've had, you know, like think about like, obviously he won finally kind of broke through and won the big 10 with the, with the Cowan team. who was a senior, but you know, looking, looking really beyond that year, you know, there have been, there have been some years where they've been more talented than, than, than they, than they wound up as a seed, right? You think about the, like the team that even like the team that made the Sweet 16, that was a five seed. That was their only Sweet 16 in 11 years. That team had sophomore Mellow Trimble, 
It had Rashid Suleiman, Jake Lehman, NBA player, Robert Carter, Diamond Stone. The bench was not very deep, but like that starting five is incredible. And that was a five seed, right? Like there was, and, and they finished the season. They started 22 and three and then, then finished really poorly in the big 10. Got lucky that Hawaii upset Cal that year. Uh, Hawaii being, you know, that, that, that was like the Stefan Jankovic or, or yeah, Stefan Jankovic, uh, Hawaii team that beat Ivan Rab and Jalen Brown and Cal. And then Maryland got housed by Kansas. Like, they just never had a team that, like, really finished strong in March. They never had a team that truly broke through the ceiling. Maybe it would have been that team that won the Big Ten regular season. But we even call that, like, we they, they quote-unquote won the, you know, won the Big Ten regular season title. That Big Ten that year was a good Big Ten, but that was – Lee was one at 14 and six. You know, like, it was not as though Maryland was some dominant force. So, I think – I think it was time. I, I was surprised it happened when it did. I think it seems like Turgeon made the decision himself. Basically, like, I don't want to go through a year feeling like I'm going to get fired all year and try to scrape by to save my job. Like, this is not fun for me anymore. I'm done. And I respect that, and I understand that. I don't think it's tough for the players. But, um, you know, I think... Well, that's, that's, that's is, the Twitter spin zone, but is that reality? Because they gave them the buyout. No, I think they were. I think they knew that their things were trending in this direction. I think there was a sense that, like, and I think Turgeon probably told them, like, "I'll walk away if you give me the buyout." And they said, "Yeah, like that seems reasonable." I, Mark Turgeon was not fired. That is not like no, no one's reported. Like, when Mark Turgeon's not gonna call in the office one morning and say, "You're done," right? Like, and they spun it. Like, that would be an unbelievable kind of spin job if no one else had that information. So I don't think he got fired, but Maryland certainly was not unhappy to see him go. Right. And I think because Maryland is a top 20 to top 25 job in the country, because it's in a big 10 where you can win because it's in the best recruiting area. It has a really big fan base, a rabid fan base. It has money because of Kevin Plank, the Under Armour CEO and all the money that's there. Like there is so much resource to be successful here that wanting to shoot higher than Mark Turgeon does not feel wrong to me. That doesn't feel like you're kind of overstaying your welcome, if you will. Like, I, I think it's justified to move on. I think Turgeon did a fine job. I think it's always tough when you're the guy following the legend, right? Like he followed Gary Williams and that's a, that's a challenge that not a lot of coaches would want. And, you know, he earned, he, he got a lot of flack, I think because of that. Uh, but I also think that he could have done more. And I think it's fine that they're going to move on and go in a new direction they're going to take some swings. Obviously, you know, there's been discussion of, of a Chris Holtman. There's been discussion of, you know, an Nate Oates or an Eric Musselman or, you know, one of these types of guys. I'm, I'm very skeptical that they can pull that kind of name, but, you know, I think Kevin Willard would be an upgrade. Kevin Willard seems like the name that a lot of people have thrown as a name that I've heard personally as a potential name. Obviously he's at Seton Hall. He's tied to the region. He's tied to, he, he's an, he an Under Armour school that could certainly help matters. You know, he's, done a great job at Seton Hall with player development, with recruiting, uh, and put together some very good teams. Now, again, the question would be, is he somewhat Turgeon-like in that he has never, you know, really broken through the ceiling? But it's way harder to do that at Seton Hall than it is at Maryland. So I think Willard is an interesting name. Obviously, again, Sean Miller has been kind of thrown around there as well. He was in the mix last time. I'm very skeptical that you're hiring Sean Miller at this time, right? There's just too much uncertainty. Um, How about Rick Pitino? Rick Pitino would be on my list. I 
I, I put together a list for SI. Um, Andy Enfield is on that list because he has an MBA for Maryland and has ties to the region and has done a nice job lately at USC. That's like a name you can watch. Kim English is faded early in year one after the 4-0 start, but he's a name that will continue to rise in the profession. He's probably too early to get Maryland, but is a very good coach. Um, who else is there? I thought Wes Miller is an interesting name to mention potentially as well. You know, obviously Cincinnati. Why would Wes Miller get the job? Huh? Why, why would Wes Miller get the job? He's been in Cincinnati for one year. They're trending toward probably NIT. I mean, they're better than expected in year one, and he would have been in the mix if he from UNCG once he wasn't at North Carolina. Once he wasn't taking North Carolina, he's a he's going to have some high major experience. Maryland makes way more sense for him regionally than Cincinnati. Uh, Maryland would double his salary quite easily. I don't see why West Miller wouldn't be a candidate, especially if they continue to play well this year. I'm not saying why wouldn't West Miller want the Maryland job. I'm saying why would Maryland want West Miller? Well. Who would you like them to want over West Miller? They well, can you get, have all, all the pie-in-the-sky candidates, and then you have Kevin Willard and you have Rick Pitino. Right. You but wouldn't think Rick Pitino would is it a guarantee? Job. Is it a guarantee that Kevin Willard says yes? I, I think it's very close to one, but some people might argue otherwise. So I'll, I'll kind of weave that into my reasons why – Maryland is making a big mistake, I think, or 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 at least they're they're taking a serious gamble that I I think people are overlooking. One for the Pitt comparison. Back then, I mean, Pitt was the number one team in the country in 2008 or 2009. Um, you know, they they were rolling. They they were producing pros. They had Dewan Blair and Sam Young. I mean, it's not the Pitt that that you see today it's it's far from it and you know you're saying okay the uh, pittsburgh region but you know playing in the acc you're 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 recruiting kids from the dmv area would and and the carolina area with the pitch that you can go play and play in front of their family when you play wake forest and nc state and whatnot and you know in, in the big east they had a ton of success and it's not like pittsburgh was any more fertile then they were just pitching to New York and New Jersey kids. Um, I think people are forgetting how just how good Pitt was back then, how formidable they were. I think they're being a little too colored by what Pitt has turned turned into after a couple bad hires. So that's number one. Number two, okay, you're saying Mark Turgeon in his 10 years, he made one Sweet 16. Um, so, so it took him three years to get going, which is too long, right? I think if 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 the next Maryland coach hasn't made the NCAA tournament after year three, they're they're gonna f- feel the wrath of of, of the Maryland fans. Um, but then he made six of seven, and NCAA tournaments down the stretch. We're talking about he's not building elite teams. I mean maybe he had one with Jalen Smith, Aaron Wiggins group that just got wiped off the board by by COVID. We'll, we'll never know. But it's funny that s- certain fan bases to take certain positions like to pretend that that year never happened. And you, you have, I'm sure Seton Hall fans and San Diego state fans. And, you know, certainly me as a province fan are go, going to sleep at night thinking that maybe we would have made a final four or something. Um, so he has the six of the last seven. So, so he had it on, on track and this year is not going as expected. 
But Maryland's a huge brand. They can always recruit well. They can hit the transfer portal well. I, I think I would have more confidence in Mark Turgeon building a Sweet 16 caliber roster for next season with the portal and with the holdovers from this year than I would of random Coach X coming in and rebuilding. Because you have to remember now, you're mad that you're not making – as far of runs as you are in the postseason. So you're basically punting on this year, going from Turgeon to Danny Manning. When you, you, you play in a Big Ten, you have a talented roster, Turgeon could have turned it around. You, you, you're going to punt on this year, so no tournament this year. Then no matter how long it takes for the next guy, right, you're going to have to give him at least a two-year grace period. right? Like if you hire Kevin Willard, and he doesn't make the tournament in year one, you can't get upset, right? Probably year three is the realistic target. So in that case, he's just gone th- three straight years, this one turning man- Turgeon Manning year, and then the two first years of, say, Kevin Willard, where you haven't made the tournament. And, and your whole goal, your whole reason to firing Turgeon is you're not making the tournament, and you're giving yourself a worse chance to make the tournament. Yeah, so so I think... Again, where I push back is where, where I push back, and I don't want to spend the whole podcast on this. Um, we've talked about this with other things. As once you know a guy is no longer the guy, right? The guy to to continue an upward trajectory, not like to tread water, right? Not the guy to maintain an elite standard. You should want to move on as fast as possible. And I think it was pretty evident for a while that Mark Turgeon wasn't the guy to like elevate the Maryland program. And they just kind of got stuck with him. He built, you know, some a good team every few years. He'd have a really, you know, really high high quality club. But even with those good teams, you had the sense that they were going to underperform relative to their talent, that they were going to, you know, not be going deep, deep in the not getting top four seeds, not, you know, establishing itself as as, as a high level you know, a truly elite top 10 caliber team. And I think at Maryland, it is reasonable to have the expectation that you want that. So look, yeah, you can gamble. You can gamble and say, yeah, Turgeon's good, but we want to shoot better. And look, if they hire Kevin Willard or Wes Miller or Sean Miller or whoever they hire and it fails miserably, oops, you try again. But Kevin Willard's not the guy like or not, not Kevin Willard. Mark Turgeon's not the guy. Once, once you, once you've decided that, you need to move on and you need to try to find the guy who can compete for championships, right? Like Maryland is a place with, with aspirations of going to elite eights and final fours and national championship games. And if you had, I had zero degree of confidence. I don't think anyone should have had any, co- any degree of confidence that Mark Turgeon was going to position Maryland to do that. So I'm willing to roll the dice and say, look, this is what we need to do to go try to be elite. Because again, at, at the end of the day, when you're at a place that has the upside that Maryland has, you have to take that shot. You can't just continue to be like, all right, well, we'll get a six seed. We'll hang out. We might win an NCAA tournament game. We might come, you know, we, we, we might come in, you know, seventh in the big 10. That's cool. Right. That's not Maryland. Right. Again, maybe that's other places. Maybe that's a big East school. Maybe that's, you know, you know, certain places in the big 10, you know, Northwestern would be over the moon thrilled with what Mark Turgeon has done at Maryland, but this is not Northwestern. This is not Iowa. This is, Maryland. And there's an opportunity to be very good here. And Mark Turgeon didn't quite live up to that standard, in my opinion. Now we'll wait and see. We got Danny Manning now. They should have fired him after losing to lowly Northwestern. 
kept on moving down the bench. Mm-hmm. Yes, but and Northwestern celebrated like they won the Super Bowl. It's kind of kind of hilarious. Um, a lot to get into in the college basketball world. We will not spend much time on Maryland versus Northwestern, although the Wildcats did get a road win that may wind up meaning something and may not. We really don't know how good or bad Maryland will be. I would assume, as you said, Brad, with Danny Manning coaching, it might not be very pretty. But we had the number one team in the country lose this week. We had the team that I believe to be the best team in the country still, Gonzaga, lose this week. Um Lots has happened. So should we start with the number one team in the country, Duke, losing to Ohio State in a I think the only the only way I would describe this game was just kind of weird. Like Duke was out playing Ohio State kind of the whole way. And then all of a sudden, Ohio State just kind of went on a random run and stopped started getting stops. And Paolo Bencaro went quiet in the second half once again. And, you know, this Zed Key, EJ Liddell front court just made so many plays. And that lift from Cedric Russell in the second half really helped, too. See, I I watched in the last 10 minutes of this game. My my heart was with your Northwestern Wildcats in a great game against Wake Forest. That was a great uh, game. I was also watching that game. Yeah, so I caught like the last eight minutes or so. And, th- and this feels like it happened 15 years ago, too. Oh, my gosh. Um, yes. But, you know, Zed Key usurping Kyle Young, you know, re- really playing well. He had a great E.J. Liddell game. I'm trying to even remember what even happened in this game. Um, oh, it was a Cedric Russell. Yeah, yes. he hit hit a bunch of shots down the stretch, finally showing some of that promise from Louisiana Lafayette. Um, and then for, for Duke, I think just the uh, – trying to even remember. Was it, did Apollo get, get cramps again? Or was that the Gonzaga game? That was the Gonzaga game. I should let you take over because I don't remember this game. <laughs> no, I, I thought I just thought like Duke was never like like Duke had a chance early in the second half to put the game away, and when they didn't, you knew they were in trouble, and it just you know it, it was just a matter of time before someone made a push, and Key really started to assert his will in the game up front, and you know as you mentioned, Russell hit some big shots. He was three for three from the from deep that was huge for them you know they don't have a lot of shot making in the backcourt right like they're they're starting three guards in this game took four shots jamari wheeler justin Arns took eight shots but they were all threes except for one and malachi Branham took six shots they just don't have a lot of volume from their guards so anything they can get off the bench from a guy like cedric russell is huge they played a huge lineup at one point with uh ej liddell at the three kyle Young at the four and zed key at the five I didn't love that look, but Liddell was awesome. I think I mentioned this in my ACC Big Ten Challenge takeaways, but E.J. Liddell is the only pl- – if, if this keeps up, he'd be the only player in college basketball history per sports reference to have a season with a 20% assist rate, a 10% block rate, and a, a uh, 40% from three rate. And he's since dropped during their win over Penn State because uh, he was over two from three. But if he winds up hitting those thresholds, he'll be the first player ever. He is doing some special things in Columbus right now. So this Ohio State team, I still don't know what to really think about them uh, in terms of like their national spot, especially as they work back Justice Suing, try to get him healthy. But this this is a team that really could have, really after the first four games of the year, needed a couple of spunky wins to get the neutral court win over Seton Hall and then really outplay Florida, who loses to Texas. I don't know how much that means anymore. Um 
and then beat Duke. I mean, Ohio State starting to you know put together a resume. And once again, Chris Holtman putting together what looks like a top 20-ish team. And then Florida's dropped today from 14th in T-rank to 26th. So it wasn't a crazy drop, but it was a crazy loss to Texas Southern. Awful. They were completely outplayed by Texas Southern, completely out physical. They just didn't look like they wanted to be there. And it's college basketball, man. That's they probably didn't want to be there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they probably did. So and that, That's a shame because Florida was one of the, the, mo- the most fun teams that I've watched this year, just with you know them flying around on defense with Fleming and Daruji and – Colin Castleton was playing really well. Oh. It's very confusing because they lose that game. They were coming off the loss on the road at Oklahoma, which was like a little odd, but it's a road game. It's tough. You know, it's Porter and their defense and Oklahoma had shots. And it was like, okay, you know, this is, you know, that's not like a crazy loss in retrospect, but it just feels like they're, you know, they're, they're some of the things that made them successful early on have started to fade since that like opening season flurry you know again against cal they they struggled early on it took them a while to pull away and uh you know then against ohio state they really were outplayed um now the oklahoma game you lose now you lose at home to Texas southern like should there be a little bit of concern i don't know they've got some tests coming up they're you know fortunate that maryland does not look like they're going to be on their best uh when they play sunday on a neutral court uh, they're also playing South Florida on a neutral court on the 18th. See if that game winds up test. And then SEC player obviously coming up as well. So the Gators have some soul searching to do after that one. Um, speaking of SEC teams, though, Alabama, talk about craziness. You know, you go from a week and a half before losing to Iona in a non in, in the uh, ESPN events invitational, looking pretty average, to not just beating Gonzaga, but like kind of throttling Gonzaga on the offensive end. We're up like 16 in the closing seconds. I mean, they were the better team in this game the majority of the way. Jaden Shackelford was awesome with 28-9, but they were hitting threes. J.D. Davison continues to really, really assert himself at a high level. And, you know, they won this game just by Keon Ellis only having four points. And Keon's a guy that, you know, might be a first-round NBA draft pick. So Alabama looked really good, and Gonzaga seemed to struggle with the athleticism, energy, and physicality that Alabama brought to the table. Absolutely. I mean, Shackelford hit some absolute daggers. I mean, he has such a quick trigger. Remember when it, when he was in the portal, we thought maybe UCLA, I was pushed for Ohio State, he sticks with Alabama, and now they're they're going to be ranked in everybody's top ten or so at this point after knocking off the Zags. And, you know, I think I think it was the CBS podcast this morning was talking about how Chet Holmgren is not making a huge impact. He he definitely looked a little sped up. He did airball at wing three. He he isn't, didn't seem to be having as much of an impact in a, this game as he has in in a previous games. But you know, Timmy, Timmy was as as usual. It's just the Gonzaga team got really out athletic, and you know, guys like Strother and Bolton who, who who have looked sharp in other games, they just looked a step behind the, the speed of this Alabama team. Uh, yeah, but, Nembhard didn't play well. Um, Gonzaga also didn't shoot it very well, especially like they missed 12 free throws in this game. That's very uncharacteristic. Yeah, I, I don't have any like huge like lingering concerns with Gonzaga. They've played such a gauntlet of a schedule, but you know, they, they certainly don't look as like world beating as they did right before Thanksgiving after the UCLA game. I think that game is starting to look more and more like a UCLA bad performance as much as it was a Gonzaga good one. And 
I will say I felt like Nolan Hickman really liked the part in the second half. I don't know. I agree. Like, yeah, he, he he like you were watching that, you're like, that guy's a freshman. Like that guy is that guy's really good. He 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 looks much bigger than he's listed. He's six eight they list him at six two, one eighty five. He looks like he's you know, he's got broad shoulders. He, he looks the part and you know, hundred shackles stiff, but it, yes. but it goes in. He can knock him down. So you know, they're they're not a very deep team. I think they're still trying to figure out how to use some of their some of their pieces, especially Chet, you know, what, what do you, in a game like this, like what happens to Chet when he looks a little bit overwhelmed? Like, how do you use him? How do you get him going? He's such a unique player, but I don't have any kind of huge, I don't have any huge lingering concerns. I think it's more just like, okay, Gonzaga's one of the contenders, not the contender. You know, they're, they're one of the guys. So I thought they were really good. And I think Darius Miles' emergence, he wasn't great in this game. Didn't really shoot it well, but Darius Miles has been a, a really key contributor for this Alabama team it, and just kind of physically kind of reminds you of the Herb Jones where he's super long and playing almost a small ball four, um, really, you know, really good defensively attacking the basket and he's been making his threes. So that's been a, that's been a nice add to Alabama's rotation, especially, you know, we, we talked about it in the preseason, they had some injuries and attrition with, um, you know, Rojas at center, but also the real big one was the ACL and Mari Burnett. So, uh, Miles has stepped into that role quite nicely. And it's very nice to see the guys like Miles who just come out of nowhere. They didn't get any run last year. Now they're coming in and, and making an impact. I mean, Iowa's got like five of those guys, right? With yeah. Tony Perkins and Patrick McCaffrey is now the second leading scorer and Chris Murray being a uh, contributor as well. So that could be why I was looking a little better than expected. Uh, but I, I made a mistake at the halftime of, halftime of that Zags Alabama game. I switched over to Iowa State Creighton. And that was the ugliest game of the year by far. That's just Cre- sad, my friend. Creighton just could not stop turning the ball over. It was it was incredible. I mean, Nimhard was like firing floaters off the backboard. Trey Alexander had like three travels in the the, the 15 minutes I watched. Then Iowa State was just bricking shot after shot. Um, and then they just kind of pulled away second half. Caleb Grill started hitting shots. Brockington finally got going. Uh, Tyrese Hunter had a few nice moves. But, you know, as, as the only person in the world who didn't have Iowa State coming in last, I thought the roster was good on paper. I didn't think that they'd be this good. I thought they'd be fringe NIT, eighth in the Big 12. Um, but I I did know that, you know, the – the group, the, the veteran group with Kalsher, Brockington, and Aruna and, and Grill coming in, I thought you know that would that would lift him over TCU and Kansas State. And you know, the Big 12 is the deepest conference, I think, top top to bottom once again. And we'll see if Iowa State can maintain their their kind of lofty top 20 ranking. There are some like kind of weird like statistical things with Iowa State under Otzelberger this year. I was just looking because you you mentioned the turnovers, and Iowa State has been turning everyone over this year. They're sixth in the country now in opponent turnover at 27% of opposing possessions. And it, it hasn't just been Creighton. You know, they turned over Memphis. Obviously, Memphis turns it over. But they turned over Xavier. Xavier is a, a fifth-year senior point guard, and – in Scruggs and a sixth-year guy on the wing, you know they're not elite at taking care of it, but 
you know, this this is not a team that you would expect to turn 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 it over. They've turned over everybody so far this season. Um, and that's like not at all aligned with what Otz has done in his career. They so so their Ken Palm rank and opponent turnover rate before this year, 246, 266, 323, 348, and 307. So I'm kind of curious to know like what the impetus was for the switch. Uh, to what they're doing, but it's you know, really, uh, personnel. I mean, right, I mean, well, part of it, right? I mean, obviously Hunter and Kasher, Ball Hawks, but Brockington's a very good defender, and then the two big front court of Enarona and Condit. That I mean, that that's a lot of athleticism. That's true. A lot of size. Yeah, it, it, but their their defense has been awesome. Their offense is kind of mediocre, and you know, ebbs and flows. They they hit shots against Xavier and Memphis, and that that got them there. But you know, I, I I think they're probably they look almost bubbly at this point, you know, very interesting to see what happens. I thought about driving out for Iowa, Iowa state on Thursday. I think that atmosphere is going to be awesome at Hilton. If they win that game though, they're going to enter the new year undefeated. Um, they will be 12 and 0, which is just so preposterous to think about, but they would enter the new year 12 and 0. They, they don't, they do have like a thinner margin of error because Otz was very smart in that like the by games he scheduled, he scheduled the real dregs. Like they play this year, uh, two seventy seven Kennesaw State, three thirty eight Alabama State, three thirty Grambling, three fifty seven Arkansas Pine Bluff, two seventy three Jackson State, three oh eight Southeastern Louisiana, and three fifty eight Chicago State. So they've had some easy ones, but they've won the big games. They won on the road to Creighton. They've won neutral games against Xavier and Memphis, and we'll see what they can do against Iowa and Cyhawk. But shout out to Ots, they're doing a great job so far, and you know playing to their personnel. Which, you know, we'll see just how good Creighton is. I mean, they haven't done anything stupid yet. They lost to Colorado State on a neutral, lost to Iowa State here. Um, they 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 finished up the non-con with BYU on a neutral and Arizona State at home. Figure you got to have the, the Arizona State one. The BYU one, I think, is a little more up for grabs. I don't think BYU has the same level of athleticism as Iowa State where they're going to be so disruptive to the Creighton offense where Creighton like can't even get a shot on the rim um and you know Ryan Hawkins had a huge game for Creighton probably the least athletic of all their starters but he was patient he was hitting shots he was backing guys down and scoring from all over the place so um they they also have a weird kind of lineup going where you know Creighton's all in the past all been about pace and space they've They've played a bunch of guards, played really small. And then this year they're playing Arthur Kaluma at the three and Alex O'Connell at the two. Um, so they're, they're, they're much bigger this year than they've ever been. And their defense has been pretty good, at least from, from what I've watched, a lot of effort. It's just they, they just could not get anything even on the rim against Iowa State. Um, and that hopefully should not be an issue against BYU and Arizona State. Yeah, agreed. We should talk about the number one team in the country now, Purdue. Um, their first ever time in the AP number one slot. That comes after they beat Iowa on Friday in West Lafayette. That was a much closer game than I think a lot of people would have anticipated, particularly without Keegan Murray for the Hawkeyes. You know, Purdue was in control, but Iowa really charged hard late. Their pressure was bothersome. Uh, but Purdue, I mean, look, they're they're now 8-0. Um, they're going to beat Rutgers. I don't care how good the rack is. Rutgers is dreadful right now. You know, they're probably going to beat NC State on neutral. They're almost assuredly going to be Butler on a neutral. 
you know, they're, they're another team that's going to probably go into the new year undefeated and, you know, theoretically we'll stay number one until then. So, you know, this team really doesn't look like they have any holes on offense. They've been unbelievably efficient on that on the floor. Um, obviously Williams and ED and that, that, that pairing is so challenging to stop because they bring so much different things when they're on the floor. What do you, how do you, how do you attack you know them defensively? You don't really know. If you pack the paint, they're going to hit their shots with Stefanovic and Ivy and Newman and, you know, Caleb first, who's been outstanding. So, you know, this, this offense is pretty much hole free. You'd think they'll probably have some regression on the three point shooting front. They're not going to shoot 44% for the year. Isaiah Thompson's not going to shoot 61% from three. Jaden Ivey probably isn't going to shoot 40. Stefanovic probably not going to shoot 46%, but, you know, they look just really, really hard to guard right now. Absolutely. And I don't think I've caught a Purdue game since Villanova. Who do they have in between Villanova and Iowa? No one in Florida, Uh, Florida State. Was the big one? Oh, I mean, I saw that one coming a mile away. There, yeah. Florida State without, I think, two starters at least. Um, you know, a Florida State team who um, I think I even overrated as the low Florida State man at this point. At you know, having them in the low 30s, they look questionable for the bubble after losing to Syracuse over the weekend. Um, but Purdue is definitely better than I thought. All right. After they lost to Providence in the secret scrimmage, I moved them in my rankings from 11 to 16. Um, and that was a serious overreaction. But I don't, I, I'm not convinced that this is the, the surefire number one team. I, I, I caught the halftime show of Illinois, Iowa, where I, I believe Steve Lavin said that he's, he thinks Purdue's going to cut down the nets. He was very confident about that. I don't, I don't see this team's, talent level like this i mean ivy's obviously a pro he's a lottery pick Edie's killing guys around the rim but i think he can still be exposed defensively and these 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 role guys you mentioned they're all shooting the lights out but i think that there's some regression there and you know when i've watched the the bench foursome minus williams hasn't been impressive at all it's just been Timely threes from Stefanovic and Thompson and just star play from Ivy and Edie. But I think I think we'll see some Purdue regression. But with, you know, Michigan looking like like crap and Illinois already dropping some questionable games, even with Kofi back, even though I'm still buying Illinois. I I do buy that Purdue is ready to waltz their way to, to the Big Ten title. I'm just not quite ready to crown them champs yet. Yeah, I agree. I think. I think the biggest thing is like right now there's just not like a clear cut, like truly elite above the rest team. Right. I think Purdue is very good, but we should remember that they were trailing by eight with 10 minutes to go against Villanova on a neutral court. And Villanova is good. And certainly Villanova is you know, part. One of their problems has been fading late in games. And Purdue has essentially two starting fives worth of guys. So they don't really worry about that. But, you know, it was not as though Purdue dominated that game. And I think there's maybe been some revisionist history, but they scored you know, they scored 37 points in 10 minutes to close the game. That's kind of preposterous. They just went on a crazy run. So, no, I don't think they're, like, cutting shows above the rest. I think right now they've earned the number one spot. I think right now they're really, really hard to guard on offense. But I don't think they're – I don't think they're, like, crazy. I think I think that's a fair fair assessment, Brad. I don't think that's unreasonable. 
And speaking of Villanova, I mean, they they just brought Cosby Roundtree out of retirement. They said, oh, Did yeah, we need really? some more depth. Yeah, well, we're bringing in a, our uh, grad student to play five to eight minutes a game backing up Eric Dixon. So, so take that for depth. That's what uh, Jay Wright just said to everybody. That is I can, I can bring my grad I, I, students in to play minutes. I had zero idea that this was a thing. Things they, they the last two or three games. Um, I'm just, just, just like a handful of minutes each game. I'm just out of the loop entirely. For now, every, everyone's doing their Memphis segment. I don't think we need an extra Met, extra Memphis segment. Can we just say that they're really bad right now? Can we? Can we also say that like Penny's comments were kind of fascinating and wild at the same time? Yeah, he's like, I have five five mystery guys who I could put in, and we win all our games, uh, which. You would think Amani Bates wouldn't be one of those guys, but it seems like he's mad that they're not being nice to Amani Bates. They're not welcoming him in, which, you know, he, he has a point, right? Like if if Landers Nolly or DeAndre Williams wants to be like a NBA veteran or a pro at some point, and you're not going to welcome in a new rookie teammate, you know, it's not going to bode well for your future as an end-of-the-bench vet. You know, so it, it's pretty applicable to to be welcoming and be a good teammate. Um, but I'm I'm just very curious as to who these mystery five guys are, because you'd think... It feels like it's absolutely Quinones, and it's absolutely Landers Nolly. And it's sort of Earl Timberlake. I think those three are, like, the, the three main culprits. Wait, those are the guys who you think are causing the locker room strife, or those are the guys you think... Penny wants to play the whole game. They're causing the locker room strife. Right. That's that's what it seems like. But you would think if if like you went to me, the non-Memphis fan who's seen two Memphis games this year, and you said, who do you think Penny's mystery five is? Those would probably be the guys I'd give you. I, I'd probably say, okay, he wants to play his buddy Lomax. He wants to play Quinones, Nolly, Timberlake, and DeAndre Williams and wants to knock the freshman out. But it seems like we're going to see, like, a really weird vibe coming out. Yeah, but we're going to get, like, a ton of – we're going to get, like, a lot of Jaden Hardaway minutes or something. It's going to be bad. It's like a lot of Malcolm Dandridge or something. Oh, yeah. All hard, all hard, baby. Hard, Penny going full hard knock stars would be a heck of a heel turn. Uh, Which, um, yeah, I I was not able to watch the Ole Miss game. I was at the Providence URI game, which, which you know, last week I wanted to do this week a full – inclusive comprehensive hot seat segment we're never going to have time to do that during the season there's too much Um, going on yeah there's there's way too much going on maybe exam week next week we'll see but all all the uri fans want david cox fired and i think two think he's going to be fired at the end of the year i don't know about the latter do you think that david cox is going to be fired that was definitely something that, that he's a name that like was put on a lot of people's like radars. Like when you when you're following this like kind of professionally, you wind up you 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 have a general sense of like okay where are people's contracts at? Where are you like? So Cox is at a point where this off season they're gonna have to extend or fire pretty much. So you know you might be able he might be able to get like a turgeon extension, but. And I don't, I don't think he's, like, dead. I think, you know, the fact that he's beaten, you know, they've played a relatively tough schedule. They've beaten, you know, 
BC twice. They beat Georgia State, which is, you know, okay. Like, the Florida Gulf Coast loss is really the one that hurts you optically. You know, they should be seven and two or even eight and one at this point. And they're six and three. Uh, so I don't, I don't think the bet is made, but I think, you know, I think there's a very real possibility that, that he's hot. I also think it's absolutely absurd that their defensive shot block rate is 22.2%. I just noticed this because I'm on their Ken Bomb page. But the Mitchells one. are are legit around the rim. That's something that I, I, I noticed. Like, wow, That's we're... They're, they're, they're eating people alive around the rim. And they're Mikel tough. Mitchell has a 14% block rate. Yeah, they are tough and they are physical. They just foul a ton. Same with Texas Tech. I mean, there's and like they're not ticky tack fouls. They're just like over aggressive, like trying to hedge a screen and tackling Al Durham uh, <laughs> fouls. It, it's like insane. Um, but URI is not bad. They're probably going to finish top four in the A10, I think. Which, See that if they finish top four, they're not fine to have a count. Right. They're but they're going to have a gaudy record. They're going to have a gaudy record. They're going to go like 13 and 7 in the A10 or something. Or 13 yeah. or 26. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I was obviously perusing their board to see the meltdown. Um, and they were turning their nose up at Matt Langle as a new potential option. They were split on Bobby Hurley. I think you'd take Bobby Hurley in a heartbeat. You absolutely uh, take Bobby Hurley. Bobby Hurley would have to get fired first. He wouldn't like leave voluntarily. Yeah. And then they all wanted Archie Miller, obviously, which that that would be a home run. Great hire, yeah. Archie will be in the mix if he wants to be. Phil is 68's finest. Right. I listened to Archie and Sean, and maybe the Van Gundys were talking about Monty Bates yeah. and his struggles, and then it went with Jim Root and Rob Doster. And Terrence Oglesby, yeah. The boys. Shout out to Phil 68. Listen to both of those, so, yeah. Uh, Memphis is in a weird spot. It's very weird. Um, Here's a team that's, like, kind of the opposite of Memphis, like the anti-Memphis, where everyone's just, like, really bought in. They don't have elite talent, but they're playing really well. Wisconsin. I don't know if you watched Marquette. They kind of blew – they blew out Marquette. And they were up by 20-something in the second half. Again – I think we both agree that Marquette is going to be pretty pretty up and down. Marquette is going to have some moments here where you're like, eh, you know, it's a little shaky. They're going to have some, you know, they're going to have some bad losses. That's just kind of what comes with the fact that, you know, your your, your starting five is relying on Daryl Morsell and Tyler Kolick to be like elite guards. And it's not, those aren't, just aren't elite guards at this point. And but Wisconsin is just playing so well together. Johnny Davis, 25 in this game. But Davison and Hepburn are starting to come along, and Crowell is solid, and you know Wall has been clutch for them. He was really clutch again against Georgia Tech. This is a weird basketball team, but I think this is a good basketball team. I think this is a top 25 Wisconsin team right now. I'm very glad we got to play them without Jonathan Davis. I mean, he's he's, he's going nuclear cool. right now. He's he's uh, gonna be a top 10 pick, I think. Or close. Wow. He's gonna be top. He's gonna be a lottery pick for sure. I I was able to watch Wisconsin Houston back in your uh, Maui Vegas tournament. I don't think I've seen Wisconsin since. I was at the Providence game on Saturday for Wisconsin Marquette. Um, I, I mean the the Big Ten outside of Purdue with Michigan slipping. I think I'd probably still take 
Illinois number two, but you know, I, I was in on Michigan. I was in on Maryland to a certain degree. Ohio State's probably a little worse than than we thought. Michigan State's probably about what we thought. So there there is certainly the opportunity for Wisconsin to jump jump up and finish in the top three or four in the Big Ten. Um, I'm I'm not a huge fan of their front court minus Wall. I like Wall's game. I like his versatility. He's huge and he moves really well. Put the ball on the floor a little bit. Outstanding defender. Right, so you have him on defense, and then the backcourt can really guard. We've talked, we've uh, touched on that previously as well with Davison and Hepburn, and then I think they're getting enough score and pop out of Davison and uh, Jonathan Davis. So they're in, I mean, they're in really good shape. I mean, their only losses to Providence right now. They have a Houston win. They just got a Marquette win, uh, which I so so Marquette is in a weird spot where they have a clean resume right now. Their only losses are. Neutral Bonnies, which might not end up being that clean. Um, and then it'll be pretty clean. Worst case. And then, and then Wisconsin, they they round out their non-con with home UCLA and at Kansas State. If you can split those, uh, I mean, obviously winning home home UCLA would be a, a huge huge needle mover for Marquette. And then at Kansas State could be a quad one win. Then you're. You're set up really well. You have the West Virginia win. You have the Ole Miss win. You have the cheap Illinois win, just like Providence has the cheap Wisconsin win. And then th- there aren't too many places where you can do something stupid in the Big East. Uh, Butler and Georgetown are the, the clear bottom, but you know everyone else ha- has enough opportunity where maybe they can move themselves up a little bit to you know, not be a crushing loss. Yeah. No, I mean, it's it's a weird. You're you're right about the you're right about the resume. It's it's a little funky, and I think again, you just gotta you gotta be smart if you're Marquette. You just gotta avoid avoid that like terrible backbreaking defeat. But there's not many opportunities for that. So yeah, I mean the the opportunities are in the big big East. I know Ken Palm's still on a believer, 77 for the Golden Eagles. So that will be uh be one to watch, but. That I I think we're still kind of waiting to see what you know Wisconsin does. They have their two conference games coming up this weekend: Indiana and Ohio State. Those will be very interesting games. Try to go for a split, uh, and then the Big Ten rigor starts to kick on up again. So uh, yeah, I just think Wisconsin playing playing really hollow basketball right now. So how about us staying staying in the Big East? Yes, we had Kansas St. John's, which I was convinced St. John's was going to win. I was like, they have been just lounging through these bye games. They are going to come out and be ready to play in this one. And Kansas punched them in the mouth early. They withstood a late charge from St. John's to cut up to three and then just you know, rode their way to the finish. Kansas is doing the, uh, the old Roy Williams where they're playing everybody. You look up and Zach Clements is making a nice move to the basket and K.J. Adams is in there and Bobby Pettiford's handling the ball. Um, so they're they're playing like 11, 12 guys, uh, just kind of treating St. John's like like they were a bye game. But Egbaji looked incredible. He looked every bit of the first round pick that people proclaimed him after their opening night in the Champions Classic. McCormick was a presence inside. Uh, Martin and Harris did, didn't really show out. Wilson wasn't great. It, it was a Enormous game from Christian Brown. I think he had like 30 points or something. It, it was those three. 31. Brown, 
What was that? 31. Yes. 31 from Brown. So between him, Egbaji, and McCormick, they, they were able to keep the Giants at bay, which they just make so many mistakes, St. John's. Champagny is absolute lights out, and when, when he just started pulling contested threes, he, he was single-handedly bringing St. John's back in the game. And I just wanted to highlight one of my favorite role players in all college basketball. That's Dylan Ade Wuzu. Yes, it's Wuzu, yes. He is just he's he's just making <laughs> stuff happen. He's huge, he's physical, he's breaking up passing lanes, he's handling the ball, he's making the right pass, flying toward the rim, locking down defensively. I would I would take Ade Wuzu on any team in the country and he would play and be a key key piece as that glue guy off the bench. So yeah, I, I didn't watch this game. I was busy. I was out. Um, but I will say this: concern level with St. John's tournament-wise, I feel like has to start rising here because, look, right, like Kansas losing on neutral, even like by 20, is not that underwhelming. Even though that's technically a home game, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to get counted by. Um, by the committee, like whatever, Kansas, the used to Kansas, it happens. And they were in that game at one point. Uh, you, like you said, they, they cut the deficit at one point, I believe, to, um, you know, three or four. And, and we're, we're right around and just just couldn't ever make the run. And then immediately gave up that that 22 to three that sealed it. But you know, St. John's going to come out of the non-conference with nothing. They lost the road game to Indiana. Close game, very good game. They've got this. Now, no, the Kansas win is not going to be there which they had kind of hoped to have. The the three remaining non-con games you play are Monmouth, Colgate, and Pitt. And all of those are complete trap games. Complete. Monmouth especially. They're Monmouth like is feisty. 50th in the net or something. And they're very – Monmouth is very athletic, one to four. So, they, you know, Colgate can really shoot. but And so they could, you know, hit 15 threes and beat you. But you'd figure they'll be a little bit overwhelmed by the pressure, just like they were against Arkansas in the NCAA tournament. They're kind of built to win a certain way. And then Pittsburgh, again, they're very bad, but it's a high major team. So, like, you never know. And they're getting healthier, so maybe there's a little bit of feistiness there. Um, so, yeah, it's like St. John's, even if they win those three games, comes out 9-2 and two with no wins and mediocre metrics. There they were over 100 in, net in, the pre- in the first net. So that's, like, concerning if you're St. John's to get to the tournament because you're going to come out, like, again, you'll have resume opportunities, I'm sure. Um. But I just I just wonder, right? Like what what is St. John's's path here beyond just like sneaking in on the bubble? Like I don't see a I don't see a way that this team isn't a bubbleish team. I don't see a way that they're gonna run through the big east and go like go fourteen and six or thirteen and seven and you know, wind up a clear team. I think this this team's gonna be sweating and the non conference schedule I think is gonna hurt them. Absolutely. I mean just instead of playing Pitt, if you could have just gotten another opportunity, you know. Well, and again, it's you either need opportunities or run or, these teams out of the gym. Right. You need to run. You need to blow teams out, and and you're and you need that to not just be like a player mindset thing, but you need your coaches. Like you need like like I if I was a fan of a high major team that was you know, on the bubble or or thinking they'd be on the bubble, I would be literally yelling like every game at the game. Do not take the foot off the gas. Do not take because it actually does matter if you win by 25 versus 15. And St. St. John's has really played with his food. Overtime against NJ, excuse me, against NJIT, six point win over St. Francis. That's like a huge issue. 
Like those hurt you. Even Fordham. Fordham's not a very good basketball team. They didn't blow Fordham away. For, they, they only outscored Fordham by one in the second half. You need to put hurtings on these teams. You need them to feel it. Otherwise, you're going to wind up in trouble. And St. John's is going to wind up in trouble, I think. So we'll see. That, I mean, where, where Monmouth is right now, and, you know, you, you were talking earlier about the impact of Walker Miller. They also have Shavar Reynolds from, from, from Seton Hall, who was a very good player. Um, but, but he's not a point guard. So, so, or, or, or he, he's a point guard, but he's not one who's going to handle the pressure very well. Uh, so, so we'll see how that turns out, and hopefully they can run up the score on Colgate and Pitt and 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 kind of improve their metrics there, because uh, it does matter, and it's very frustrating just to see you know teams sleepwalking. You know, a lot of the Big East did that, right? Providence hasn't blown teams out. Creighton didn't blow their bye games out. Marquette didn't, um, and then the Johnnies and the the latter three kind of feeling it in, in the metrics. You know, kind of wish they would have beaten the SIU at Edwardsville's of the world by by more than just single digits. Um, speaking of Pitt, did did you watch any Pitt, Virginia? No. Well, um, I watched a couple final seconds, and I was laughing about it. But. I didn't either, but I was I was hoping Virginia would, you know, kind of look more like Virginia. Um, but I didn't watch any of it, so, so we can just move on to the next. I... I, I couldn't decide whether, like, like when I saw that result, like when I saw the final couple minutes, and I saw that like Pitt was, you know, could have won that game. I was, I, I, I couldn't decide whether I would prefer Pitt starting a walk-on to beat Virginia at Virginia, or if I wanted uh, Virginia to win because Pitt losing another game painfully, like that would be funny for our friend Tristan Freeman. I decided that losing Pitt losing would be funnier. So. I want to shout out uh, in the ACC, um, Boston College blew out Notre Dame, uh, and they've been they've been feisty. And they've lost twice to Rhode Island on a road in a neutral, lost to like Utah in a neutral. But this is an improvement already from the uh, this is an improvement from the Jim Christian era. So Earl Grant doing a nice job. They blew out Notre Dame. Um, you know, it wasn't even as close as the final score indicates. Notre Dame outscored Boston College by six in the final ten minutes. So. It was a 22-point game with 10 minutes to go, and you know, again, I don't think Notre Dame is very good. And you know, Prentice Hub is in a funk, and they're trying to get this freshman Blake Wesley going. He's not really a point guard, but Earl Grant has these guys playing really, really hard with a very makeshift group. The Ashton, Ashton Langford, Demar Langford, you know, they've got James Carnick giving them good minutes up front. Quinn Post has been playing decent basketball. I mean, deserve a lot of credit because. This is not a very good team on paper, and they are not the uh, they're not the worst team in the SEC or the ACC. Excuse me. You know, Notre Dame, they have no athletes. That's what we said in the preseason, and it's kind of rearing its head. Yep. I I I mean I don't know if Notre Dame will end up behind Boston College in the standings. That would that would be an interesting prop bet if we did. In in season prop bets, but you know a lot of these ACC teams are looking really shaky. Virginia Tech starting to show some cracks. Um, you know, yep. Ed, Edgedale, Wake, Maryland, but Wake their Forest lack of talent is really showing. Wake Forest does deserve credit. Yeah, Wake Wake looked really good against Northwestern when I watched. I, I mean, I watched most of that game. Um, Jake Jake Laravia looked really good. 
Alondas Williams, you know, really impactful. Uh, Davian Williamson hit some shots. I mean, they got big guys in the middle with Walton. They're not an IT team. Yeah. And and one other team that we not an ACC team, but a team that we think you know we thought would suck and does not suck. I think it's time for a Minnesota apology. Yes, they have they, they have won we, more we, games we, so far than I thought they they would win the whole year. Right, we never concede, but like, and I don't, I, I still don't think this team will play in the postseason. I think at best NIT, but they are doing something with they had six guys against Mississippi State. So their starters played 40, 39, 38, 38, and 30 minutes. And they beat Mississippi State. And that's, I mean, that's just awesome, man. I mean, they're playing really hard for Ben Johnson. I think there is a, a definite benefit. Again, I don't, I wouldn't do this myself, but, like, I think there's a benefit of building with all these, like, in-state kids because they're, like, really bought in. They're just so bought in to, like, this is my opportunity at a high major in my home state, like, they're playing so hard for him right now, and they're competing. And Jameson Battle has been a good good player for them. They have a very specific path to win games, and it's you know they're not going for offensive rebounds. They're protecting the basketball. They're forcing you to attack them in. Um, they're they're forcing you to attack them in the half court. They're running you off the three point line, and they're limiting mistakes. And that's been enough so far to win games. And again, they have one win that matters. It's Mississippi State. We'll see how much that matters, even. But the fact that, like you said, they're seven. No, I think we would have both considered a bet where they would win less than seven games. So. They could go O of twenty in the Big Ten, and they they will st- they will have still won more games than I expected them to win. <laughs> so so for that, you know, I, I, I'm a no victory lap until February guy, but they've already crossed the finish line for me, so. The bar was fair, fair to give Ben Johnson the uh, the kudos. Yes, and again, I think we both would agree that like Ben that Ben Johnson probably should have recruited a little bit more talent, right? Should have went after some some high level transfers, and they didn't really do that. But I also don't know that like they would be that much better with some of those guys. Right? If they got one or two of those guys, would they be that much better? I don't know. But I mean, I guess Iowa State is, so it's just hard to say. But I just think at some point you just gotta be like, all right, credit where credit due, and. Minnesota's exceeded both of our expectations. So good for them. Good for Ben Johnson in year one. The two hires we maligned a lot, uh, Otzelberger and Ben Johnson, both doing a, doing bang-up jobs in year one. Shows what we know. Shows what we know. Well, no, my my two Fs were Ben Johnson and Kevin Kruger. Oh, well, UNLV looks like a dumpster fire, so you're good. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that they were, like, that bad. They're, like, 250 in the net. Well, they, they that's a little unfair, because they've played a lot of good teams. They've gotten blown out by them. But also, like, they the last two games have been really bad. They got blown out by SMU, and they got blown out by San Francisco. Both were road games, so, like, what does it mean? They're just weird, man. Like, I, I wouldn't have taken Bryce Hamilton back. I think they just, like, they went two in on the collection of talent. They didn't need them. Uh, and then San Francisco's a really good basketball team. You know, they just guard you and... Jamari Bouye is incredible. Like, I I just think like I think that was a a bad matchup waiting to happen for them. Um, but UNLV is just kind of a mess on both ends, and they had like a you know big spat in the locker room after San Francisco. It sounds like you know they've got a couple games coming up this week. 
you know, buy games that they should win against Seattle and Hartford. They lose one of those games, and you start to hear kind of the the pressure and stuff. And I'm surprised, but I think they're going to be a bottom bottom tier Mountain West team because the Mountain West has been you know feisty. I mean, New Mexico beat New Mexico State last week. They're I believe beating them as we podcast right now. We'll see if they can win that you know win that sweep that series that they play every year. Fresno seven and one. You know, Boise just dismissed Devonair Dutrieve, which was that was a that was a name that I had forgotten existed. Um, I think Vante Hendricks' brother has also been dismissed. So, oh for two there. Tough, but like San Francisco or not? Excuse me, San Jose State, Air Force, and New Mexico—the bottom theaters last year—all look more feisty than they've been in a while. Or Air Force and San Jose, that's the case. And then New Mexico looks feistier than they were last year. Wyoming. Wyoming's 8-0, top 30, top 20 in the net. Uh, not that good, but like Graham E.K., incredible. Graham E.K. had 35 points and 14 rebounds against Denver the other day. That kid's a beast. And so Hunter Maldonado's been putting up stat stuff and performance. Oh, yeah, because he's like a point forward for them again. He's playing point guard. Doesn't shoot it, but no, but there's but they spray spread it around with Ducell, who's a shooter, Drake Jeffries, who's a big time shooter, Odin, who can take outside shots, and then that's a Brandon Wenzel, who's a shooter, big wing, who was committed to UTEP at one point, and, uh, and then EK, this dominating force on the block, he takes he he's the number one usage guy in the country, and again, it's a, it's such an interesting thing. I think Jeff Jeff Wunder is a fantastic coach. Absolutely, I mean he got North. Northern Colorado in the COVID year, the uh, COVID abbreviated season, he had them, I think, top 75 in Ken Palm. They were 75th in Ken Palm. They had a top 50 offense. But they built, like, they built their offenses completely around their personnel. And, you know, last year was a million pick and rolls for this elite point guard passer we have in Marcus Williams. And this year, it's, we got this elite big. We're going to get him post looks in Grammy Gay. And Grammy Gay has been incredible. He gets the free throw line. You know, he's, Great around the basket. He's awesome on the glass. You know, he's a offensive weapon, without a doubt. Any other like mid-major storylines you want to hit on? Loyola knocked out DePaul. Great and game. It, Wish I was there. Place. Javon Freeman Liberty fouled out with like three and a half minutes left. He he was so like ready for the game, you know, ready for that comeback. He started crying on the bench. I don't know if I ever seen that in a regular season game. That game meant a lot. I mean, he's a Chicago yeah. kid. If I'm not mistaken, he and Lucas Williamson were high school teammates. So that's like the – there's that, like, added thing there. And, you know, it was a high-emotion game. He didn't play well. I mean, that was, that was you know, realistically – I mean, their path to win right now is pretty pretty slim. Some of them like Minnesota. They're very different than Minnesota. They're just kind of rely on this length and athleticism running around and I don't know if you saw it. I thought Nick on, on Genda played an outstanding game in this ball. Yes. He's awesome. And he was Jill handling the ball from nice the mid post. Yeah. yeah. Terry gives a nice lift. And Davy Jones is killing you still. 19 and 9 in this ball game. He's a big time player. But Loyola was just, you know, refused to quit. You know, they, 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 they got out to great start, started to struggle with the pressure, uh, went down six at the half, and then just found a way in the second half. And, you know, Chris Knight was really good in the post again. He gives them a lot of Andre Jackson type contributions. And Schwieger's been good for them out of uh, Princeton. And Williamson is a is a really good player. 
Norris struggled in this game, but that's the thing. Anybody can step up for this loyal team now. Seven and two. They have the you know big win now. They have some wins that might matter with Arizona State neutral and DePaul Road. Those you hope, you know, you hope or at least Q2, you would think they would be. Uh, and they'll get Vanderbilt on the road coming up. That's like a sneaky potential Q1, depending on how Vanderbilt plays. Um, they they got bought by Vanderbilt, which is just hilarious. And uh, they also have a road Davidson, which could be a, a Q1. You got you split those. I think you feel real good about your uh, your non-con if you're loyal. Then DePaul has at Louisville coming up. Yes. They have, I believe, at Northwestern. That is correct. They have at Illinois Chicago. Yes. And then they maybe have one more game. So I'm not uh, sure. Duquesne. But home, that's- home Duquesne. Yeah. Um, so, got to have the Duquesne and Illinois-Chicago. And then if you split between Louisville and Northwestern, you have a NCAA tournament resume. Right? No no real black marks. Uh, but it's, it's, it's DePaul, and we've seen this before. And we'll see if they can actually – get that split because Louisville's starting to play a little bit better. Northwestern's a solid bubble team, so it'll be uphill battle for both. I think you're a little overconfident in Northwestern right now. I like I like the way you guys look. I like Pete Nance. He's smooth. He's huge. Handles it's the un- ball. It is unbelievable how much better he has gotten. Like thinking about like where he was as a freshman. So now he's like, he's really passing the ball now. He's shooting the shit out of it. Like him and Boo Boo are putting up awesome numbers. So Boo's a little wild, but yeah. Oh, very wild. But Chase Audige back now. Yeah. Well, I know you were really in on the preseason. I remember you telling me you were watching Chase Audige highlights. Well, I got I got I got sucked in. I forgot that, you know, he's one of those guys he's very he, his best asset he's a tough shot maker. He's a very good defender too, but he's a he's a tough shot maker on offense. And so when you watch the highlights, you're like, Oh man, you know, I forgot how good this guy is. And then you like watch a game and you're like, Oh yeah, that's right. He uh takes a lot of really dumb shots. Yeah. And he takes a lot of like he he his his he will never be efficient because he's not a great free throw shooter and he takes like sixteen shots a game. Like he took seventeen shots against uh Against Maryland to score 14 points. So, um, let's see. Oh, Sunday night, I, I I caught the basically the last half plus the overtime of Oregon Arizona State, which which I thought was a good game. Thought it was well played. You had Bill Walton on the call. Frank Kepnang was all over the place. He is a crazy crazy man. And he he has good touch. He has great energy, and he and he has good touch. Uh, Suarez made some plays. Williams was out, but the the Oregon kind of established guards were all kind of shaky. Harmon looked really shaky. Richardson was making some questionable calls. Um, Young wasn't really a factor, and Garrier wasn't playing great as well. Um, it's pro- I'm sure that's. That's why they lost outside of the great Captain performance. And for Arizona State, got some huge shots from DJ Horn. Jalen Graham was great around the rim. He was blocking shots. He was dunking in uh, pick and roll. He, he was playing really well. Kamani Lawrence made some tough plays. And, you know, this is a Arizona State team that doesn't have Marcus Bagley right now. And, you know, kind of as, as an aside, uh, both Marion Jackson and Devontae Jones 
I think we're the consensus picks to be the next Carlet Jones, the star mid-major point guard. I certainly expected both to be positive contributors, uh, but they have not been for their teams. And Martin Jackson in two conference games, two total points on one for 15 shooting, three assists, two turnovers. I mean, Jackson, a lot of people said he was like, what, a top five transfer? I mean, he was outstanding at Toledo on a top 100 team that had an elite offense. Like, and he made shots and he got to the free throw line. He was in a high assist guy and he rebounded. Like, he was incredible. Like, it's, it is stunning to me that he's not, like, that he, that he looks like at times, like, kind of useless, you know? And then, that does not that does not compute. Uh, Devante Jones was invited to the G League Combine with Hunter Dickinson and Aaron Wiggins and all those guys. I thought he played uh, well. Yeah, and he is a complete non-factor right now. Well, the problem I think the problem. Let's actually talk about Michigan. This is a good way to maybe wrap up because um, you know, we've kind of hit on a lot of the bigger games. Michigan didn't. Michigan had two big games this past week. They really struggled offensively against North Carolina and then played, you know. Pretty well against San Diego State. San Diego State's not a great team, I think, at this point. Like, I don't think they really scare you. Uh, but, like, the big concern for me with Michigan right now, and I wrote about this in our ACC Big Ten Challenge takeaways, is, like, Michigan last year was built on the fact that you had four guys on the floor. When they played Livers at the four, Wagner at the three, Smith at the one, and Brooks at the two, you had four guys on the floor who could legitimately create in a pick and roll, Right. You could, they, could, they could hit a shot if you went onto the screen. They could attack the basket. They were smart players. They were good defenders. They also had Shondi Brown off the bench, who was a really good player, really underrated. He's on the Lakers now. Right. He's a great player. So they were always super versatile. And at worst, you were like, like occasionally you were getting some, some Brandon Johns minutes. He played more down the stretch, but Johns was making plays when he needed to and you know was fitting into a great kind of team construct. Where they're at now, like they're too they're too big, and they're not like skilled enough. You and again, Caleb Houston is going to shoot better than he shot early in the season, and he already showed that. Like he 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 has really struggled. He comes out against San Diego State, he goes four five for three, huge. They need that. But Jones is not a very good shooter, so teams are not like worried if Jones wants to take shots. Okay, like your your two guards Brooks, he's the same guy, great. Houston at the three has not been shooting the ball at the high level. And then Johns is not a very good shooter. Johns is bare, you know, Johns is a guy who's going to take a three, but you know, you're okay with that in the flow of the offense. If they want to take that three, go ahead. And you got Terrence Williams playing a lot of minutes as like a three-man. Terrence Williams has no no real like he, he's not he's not a guy who can handle the ball. You know, he's 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 gonna be a you know double turn double assist to turn double turnovers to assist guy he's not a not a plus shooter like he can again put up shots but he's not gonna be a, if, if terrence williams is taking catch and shoot shots like you're probably living with that right and kobe buffkin's really not playing and frankie collins is still figuring out you got diabate who i think is probably the answer to four but you know he's not a stretch a stretch guy either so the spacing is all screwed up for a guy like Dickinson, who in the four out one in looks last year was un- unbelievable. He has not been quite as good this year. He's been a little bit, a l- little bit less effective. So, you know, they, they have some problems. I don't know that they're easily fixable. I think, you know, you hope that maybe some of it is just a freshman, you know, particularly Houston, but I think Buffkin and, and Collins as well, you know, establishing themselves and becoming bigger contributors, because I'm just not sure like 
Devontae Jones is all of a sudden going to fix figure out the fact that he's like a supposed to shoot the ball better. Like he's not a great shooter. And he's also a turnover guy. Like he's just turned the ball over a lot in his career and he's turned the ball over a lot so far at, at Michigan. This team has has struggled with that this year and they're not taking it away on the other end, which is something that Jones was very, very good at uh, in at Coastal Carolina. He has not really been a factor on them on the floor so far. So they've got some problems to work through, no doubt. So Brandon Johns last year shot in conference play, he shot 50% from three. The year before, he shot 38% but from three. But on what volume? What's the volume on that? Like super so low attempt. last year was half an attempt a game. Right. The year before, it was two and a half attempts a game. The 38%. So he, he was supposed to be a good shooter. He's not hitting at all. He looks really bad. Overall as well. He looks like uh, Providence shouldn't take him on the uh, the down transfer you've been begging for. for you. No way, absolutely no way. <laughs> he, he's always been shakier on the rim. He's very soft. He's very soft. But if if he's not hitting three pointers, I mean, just enough, right? <laughs> Giabate is really good, really athletic. Again, as as you mentioned, that's a tough fit in the front court. Terrence Williams has has great feel. Maybe he's the option at the four, but right. I like Terrence Williams a lot as a four man, but like when he's playing the three, I'm like, what what are we doing here? Like it it, it wastes him. Absolutely. And you know, Caleb Houston is not performing. You know what? When I watched him at U19, I, I I did not see a lottery pick. I didn't think he played with enough power, but. I think he still could be a first-rounder. I mean, he has good size, and he shoots it well. Right. He uh, just doesn't do anything else. At all. Like, there's no skill that Caleb Houston has other than shooting the ball that, like, is a plus-level skill even in the college game. And that's concerning right. for an NBA standpoint because you should be able to do other stuff, even if you're just going to be a shooter in the NBA. Right? Like, and I think that's the thing that's concerning. Like, Houston will make shots. Their offense will look better when Houston makes shots just like it did against San Diego State. But, like, the fact that he's not giving you anything, like, from a ball skill standpoint – hurt you the fact that he's not being a high impact defender hurts you right like they needed that from him and he hasn't done that so far and then just one last thing completely unrelated oh baby remember when st john's was trying to tell us that aaron wheeler was going to be like their second best player their best player oh yeah oh yeah baby he, he's now just playing like small ball five like missing threes and like missing threes the aaron wheeler story he looks he looks the part as a small ball five like he's holding oh. up defensively and everything but he's he might not even be better than Purdue Aaron Wheeler. It's funny because maybe the whole cell was okay. Champagne's gonna play more three. Champagne does not play any three at all. Yes. He does not play a single second at three. But I mean he's he's playing on the perimeter the whole time. So he's so an awesome well. player. Yeah, he's just yeah. The whole cell about. Uh, Shim Penny's gonna play the three now. Uh, nice try. We should we should start to make full lists of all the like preseason cells like this. Yeah, How about the the I I uh, still have the screenshot about the Matthew Alexander Moncrief playing point guard. <laughs> Nothing will ever beat Jace Johnson, uh, Marquette Jace Johnson, and yeah. uh, Ed Morrow and uh, Theo Johnson. I played. Jason Johnson and Theo Johnson at the same time. Yeah, that that is the undisputed number one. For the next 20 years, whenever we have, bring up this segment, whenever we want to bring up this topic, 
We're the old and gray complaining about Steve Wojciechowski and Theo John. You remember in the 2019-2020 season when Steve Wojciechowski <laughs> said he was going to play Jace Johnson and Theo John at the same time? Oh, man. Well, I think that's it for this podcast, folks. Uh, oh, how about oh, who'd you pick for Eliminator? Oh, I forgot this week. We're toast. This is the problem with doing the podcast on Monday. Oh, my God. Disaster. I know. I had a, I had a long weekend. My, my family's in town. It was very good to see them. But uh, as a result, I am out in the Eliminator. The good thing is, Brad... The win doesn't matter to me because I can go to the NCAA tournament if I want with credentials. I don't have to get a ticket. So. You can go to any, any of right? the games you want? Huh? You can go to any of the games you want? I mean, pretty much. I have to figure out, like, we'll, we'll have other people who are going, so we'll coordinate. But, like, I'll have – I'll be able to go to most – like, whichever games I think are the best games to go to from my perspective, I'll probably be able to go to, yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't care at all. I, I'm, I'm just – here for the title. It's it's the pride. Yeah, it's the pride. I'm just Ooh, super competitive with the stuff. Um, so so this week I have I I went out on a real limb. I am, am am seriously going for it because I was deciding between three teams: Oregon State, Georgia, and Wake Forest. And Wake Forest looked a little too good, and I said, I I might need Wake Forest later. I'm gonna pick Oregon State and Georgia. Oregon State has one game against Sacramento State. It was like 310-ish. And Georgia, this is the risky one. Georgia's in the 200s themselves, and they have 257 Jacksonville. Mincy. I think you feel good about that still. I really do. We, we have some serious layups coming up. Rutgers has a week where they only play Green Bay, and then the next week they only play another – Team that's even worse. Minnesota has something similar coming up. So uh, there's a regression monster coming to Minnesota, though. Yeah, we have we have some serious uh, serious layups ahead, but gotta survive this week because you already have a strike. I know because of Georgetown. I mean, how, so, how about Georgetown? Remind me if you get the second strike, are you done? No, three strikes. Okay. Or 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 if both your teams lose in the same week. Right. Yeah. Or if one of your teams takes multiple losses in the same week. Oh. Um, yeah, how about Georgetown, Missouri, Pitt? All all these teams, their 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 net is like blinding. Missouri's approaching 300. Missouri 277 in the net. Uh, got housed by Liberty. Housed by Liberty. About 66 to 45. This is after losing the neutral court game to Florida State by 23. Florida State is not good. Losing at home to Wichita State. Wichita State does not look very good. Their only wins are Paul Quinn, bad. Central Michigan, who just got housed by Western Illinois. They won that game by 10. They lost to UMKC. They beat Northern Illinois 54 to 37. Northern Illinois is 324 in Kempom. And then they have a random neutral court win over SMU, which is probably like the current saving grace for Kwanzaa not to like be hot right now. Like I think he's probably not hot this year. But if it continues, it might be like, oops, like we kind of have to move. Well, like in, in the preseason, in, in that article I read, I mean, this is just point one thousand as to why you don't ever listen to what the coaches are saying. He was going on and on about how Jordan Wilmore is going to play such a big role, and we he has more offense than we than than we've seen. And he's so good defensively. He's going to play a ton. Blah blah blah. He, he's playing eleven minutes a game. 
Three points a game for Jordan Wilmore. He was talking about Yaya Akita is going to play a lot. Eight minutes a game for Yaya Akita. We should also note that uh, in the depth chart, Ken Palm depth chart, it suggests that the center is Kobe Brown. He, he did say Brown's going to play all five positions. So, But we're seeing very little of the point guard and a lot of the center. 15 and 7 with three assists for Kobe Brown. But being wasted on this mishmash of mid-major transfers. Yes. Not a very good team. They probably should, rec- should have recruited some good players. It's not a it's not it's not rocket science. I don't I don't think Kwanzaa should be fired after this year either. I mean they were an eight seed last year. True enough. That was a that was a big year for him last year. We talked about it, but like big year to like have a little bit of pressure off. Because he got a raw deal with John Day Porter and and, and Michael Porter with their injuries and stuff. But. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. I don't think Kwanzaa's bad. I just think he didn't recruit good players. So. Cool. Anyway, is that the podcast? Sure, let's do it. That's the podcast. Appreciate you all listening, folks. Uh, I will be on the road this weekend off to Champaign to see Illinois versus Arizona. Very exciting game. Ooh. I picked that game over UCLA Marquette and Notre Dame Kentucky. That that was right that was a layup, I think. Yeah, I think so too. We were gonna split a, up, but we decided because Jeremy was gonna go to Arizona Illinois, but he had other plans. So now I could go to Arizona Illinois, not worry about doubling up the SI contingent. So beautiful. I'll be holding down the fort at Providence, Vermont, and Providence Central Connecticut State. Vermont, that's the, that's the last chance for like a weirdly bad loss for the Friars and the Icon, right? It's not gonna be yep, it's just Vermont and Central Connecticut State, and we're done. Just got to get through it. Clean resume. But all right, folks, we will uh, we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening.